Welcome to the Geek to Geek podcast, where D&D comes from other people's brains. I'm Void. I'm here with my co-host, Beej. My brains. Your brains. My brains. Yeah, sometimes. Today, we're talking about D&D module writing, because that's what you've been doing with a lot of your year, basically. Yeah, really since the last, well, really since December, that's where a bunch of my, that's where a bunch of my attention has been and where a lot of my creative energy has gone is, is writing things uh, for various D&D adventures and uh, projects that I've got uh, either on the back burner or kind of running at the same time. Yeah, it's super interesting. And so I just have questions. We don't actually have as much structure as we normally do, but that's okay. Um, Because I want to know about this process. So like, what is the process for a D&D module and like how do we even start to approach it? Like I know it's different for everybody who does this and I know that uh, it's really different if you're a professional but for me um I actually start there are a couple of there are a couple of markdown editors that you can use called homebrewery and uh, gm binder which are really really cool because you can write on one side and see the uh it look like a player's handbook or dm's guide or whatever on the right kind of splits halfway down the screen in the browser and so i tend to just start out like that because it's so much easier for me to write anything if it looks especially if it's something like this if it looks like what it's going to look like at the end as i'm going like just having the the structure of like writing a monster block, if I can see it on the right side in real time looking like it would in a book, I can actually sit and write out the monster easier than just seeing the, the text. Uh, so generally, whenever I'm starting, I load that up and put in just a very basic CSS template that it's got on there that I found that I like. Uh, and just so that I can see stuff as I'm as I'm going and export it to a PDF or take screenshots or something uh, to show other people because nobody wants to read Markdown. And most of the time I'm coming from something that I either saw online uh, or read in a uh, read in a book somewhere else or saw on TV. And I have a, an idea and I basically, it's hard to even say here, like where, where do I uh, start? I start with an idea. Um, So far it's okay. So here's, here's the real question is like, is there, I'm sure you have ideas from all over the place, right? But now that you've done this a couple times and it's not your first time doing it, do you find yourself like attacking it from one direction more often than others? Like, is it more often like a theme or a special event or is it like a setting grabs you and you start with the settings or are you starting with like, oh, here's a really cool encounter that I want and then you build around that? Like, what's the core thing that you find yourself most drawn to that you then kind of structure everything else around? These days, it's encounters. Uh, that's one of the things okay. that's really, uh, really got me because when I started doing this, it was December, and I had, um, I decided we were doing some stuff for the uh, the the Patreon magazine, and I wanted to write a Christmas adventure. I'd never done it before, but I was super into tabletop stuff. I was like, "How hard can this be?" And it turns out it's not that hard if you know the. If you've ever really DM'd, like that made it much easier just knowing the structure of how they put adventures together. So I started, I was like, I had this idea for a mimic Christmas tree. And when people went near it, it re- reached out with garland instead of like the like its tongue. And so I built around that this idea, like, why would that even be happening at the North Pole? And so I was able to put together a a whole story around that. And the most recent one that I did uh, was called the dragon tower of candle keep. And I read a, uh, the new book uh, candle keep mysteries was coming out. And so there was, I wanted to know about it and I'd never really read much about candle keep. So uh, part of the forgotten realms, that's uh, like a giant library fortress. Basically it's a castle. That's a wizard city fortress library. Like it's really, really cool. And, but I'd never read much about it. And so I went to DM's Guild, which is where basically all the community content for D&D lives. And uh, there was some people who there were some people who had written a companion to Candlekeep uh, before it had come out. Like there was nothing uh, official about it for fifth edition. So I downloaded it and there was one paragraph in it that caught my attention. That was uh, they had written that a 
dead the uh, an ancient red dragon uh, named Fire and Tenamar had been their corpse had been used as a building and preserved so it wouldn't rot. Like that was basically the entire, uh, that was all that said in the entire book about it. I looked up online, could find nothing else about this. I even asked the writers of this uh, if there had been anything else. And it was just that paragraph. But I was taken by the idea of using a dragon corpse as like a research tower. So I was like, I wonder what would happen if it tried to come to life and you had to go inside and try to fix it. And so that was really where it started was just that idea of, hey, that's really neat. And looking to see if anybody had done that before. Uh, it was it was really cool. I've, I've enjoyed doing that a lot. And now right now, actually, about 10 minutes before we were doing this, we, we sat down to record. I was actually writing. I realized that um, Encounters books, they have a lot of them on DMs Guild, like Encounters in Ravenloft, Encounters in, uh, in Candlekeep, Encounters in Avernus based on the different uh, areas and storylines that have come up that are just little snippets, like paragraph long boxes, maybe a page or less of each of them. Uh, they sell really, really, really well. And so I'm working on one for Ravenloft right now that is just a series of individual encounters like that of these people run into a ghost beholder who used to run a casino in this cave and people and he misses it and uh, wants to see if the party will play dice with him. Stuff like that. That's awesome. Uh, and then move on to the next one. Just basically a uh, DMs resource to be able to say, OK, I need something here that's not in the hardcover. What kind of stuff can I you know, spitball and put together like yeah. stuff like that does really, really well on there. So like people really want it. And I found I like it too. I like reading stuff like that. And that's how I get ideas for everything. That's super cool. So do you find like your, your inspiration? Is it, I know they, it, the inspiration always comes from everywhere, right? But yeah. are you finding yourself more drawn to like existing settings and then you build on top of them or adjacent to them or you add like something to it because it sounds like that's kind of what you did with Candlekeep and maybe what you're doing with Ravenloft but then you also kind of homebrewed that um the encounter for like the North Pole like are you trying yeah. to set them in a setting to make them more approachable or like are you trying to do some of your own stuff too if you're going to actually sell a uh, D&D stuff, if you're actually going to use any of the intellectual property and names from Dungeons and Dragons, you have to set it within either Eberron or the Forgotten Realms. Interesting. Uh, okay. And because of their community agreement that says uh, that you can only use these certain settings that are published and well, I guess Barovia as well. Ravenloft is part of it now too. Um, so it has to be within one of these particular settings or no setting at all that you don't have to have any kind of setting in there. Uh, it could be like setting agnostic where you can set it up anywhere in your adventure, but you can't say this specifically takes place in Planescape, uh, the Planescape universe, because that one has not been officially sanctioned for anyone to write in. Uh, there is a pretty strict set of rules on where people can write about uh, and sell it on Dungeon Masters Guild. Okay, that's cool. I had no idea. So that was something I definitely wanted to know. Um, it's really cool, though. It I is, mean, you, you can, you can use like anything. You can copy and paste out of the official books if you want to. Oh, wow. Like, that's one of the things that's really cool about it and really scary at the same time is, like, if I wanted to use a beholder, I can just say, hey, go to the monster manual and use this, or I can copy and paste that into my adventure and maybe alter one or two things about it where there's no problem with that at all. Where like if I were writing something on my own that wasn't licensed that or just trying to do the open game license where you can use mechanics but not any of the property, it becomes a little wishy-washier on what you can do and how you do it. Which, um, yeah, that makes sense. So it's really cool like there and there's a huge community about it. Like if you ever look for pretty much anything D&D &D these days, it's going to be you're going to find it on Dungeon Masters Guild outside of the hardcovers that they're publishing. That's super cool. Um, I have more questions. OK, I need to know when you're approaching this, is it more like writing a story or is it more about like giving the DM a bunch of tools that they can pull from? Like because I can 
I've only DM'd like very minimally, so I feel like I'm not as well versed in it as I could be, but I could see it getting written either way, right? I've seen so many DM resources that's like, here's just a bunch of like little snippets and you can pull from it, you can play with it, you can tweak it and make it your own. And then I've seen ones that are like, here's a full story with every NPC thought out all the way. And it's like, you just run this whole module start to finish. Like when you're trying to create the content and write it, do you have to keep both of those things in mind or do you lean more one way or another? Or like, how do you do that? Well, I write the story okay. for other people. Well, it, I've actually seen there's a discord for uh, DMs Guild creators that I stumbled on. And that's one of those things that you see talked about a lot. How much do you include for DMs uh, in your in your writing? Like, do you actually walk through every possible you know outcome here that you can think of? If the party does this, then this happens. If this happens, then this happens. Um, or do you give them the the basic outline and some bullet points, like you said, and really kind of mix and match and put it wherever uh, you need to, and kind of homebrew and and uh, uh, improvise all the rest of it and i based on my background in literature and uh, writing novels and things like that i'm much more a story point by point by point here are the important npcs as they're introduced uh that kind of thing i thought that might be the case i've learned that um i need to take it in a very particular order but also i need to provide options if someone if a party doesn't think like I do, like um, I introduced in Candlekeep, there is a particular NPC that's introduced that comes back later in the adventure. Um, and you only meet them if you go into one particular hallway. Um, so I actually had to go through different parts of it as I was reading through and editing it to make small like cameos for this character so that they would be more of a a presence in there when you finally did meet them and then they came back after that like you have I have to think about stuff like well what if they don't go to hall number three first uh, and that ruins the entire story because of X, Y and Z over here. Um that's been the hardest part for me to think about is put myself in somebody else's uh, mindset as they're running through, but you cannot, you cannot plan for every eventuality, but the way that I write is I plan for as many of them as I can think of until I'm done. Yeah. Um, that makes like a lot of what sense. happens. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> there's a lot of pieces to that, right? Because you're writing more of like a narrative, not, not like a full structure, but like mm-hmm. pieces that people can interact with. And like you said, people can go different directions, branching paths and things like that, but still tying it all together. So how long does it take to write one of these? Because I'm um, sure it's very different. Or I can tell already just from talking, like the process is so different than traditional writing of like a story. It's so much faster for me to do this than it is for me to write a novel or short story. Even it a is- short story. Oh, I hate short stories. Oh, I'm bad at them. Like short stories are the hardest things to write. Like I will tell anybody that if you're going to start writing, you need to start writing a novel and not a short story. Which is Uh, interesting because a DM module is almost a short story. Like that's kind of what you're structuring. It's just through a different medium. It is. Uh, the, The main difference in my mind on how I can approach this, because I don't like writing short stories, having to get all of that within this one perfect uh, little form and make sure that it conveys everything is really hard, but it's much easier for a and d module where you don't have to succeed at every, including every last detail to make it make sense, because there's always going to be DM interpretation. So I can put the, the broad strokes in there. And if I miss something and, or there's something that, uh, that is missing, uh, or just doesn't work, the dungeon master can then make it work for their group. Um, I can, um, it's not so much about refining the form as it is about refining the experience. And I find that much, much easier and less time consuming. So how long um, does it take then? The Christmas one took me about three weeks to write. Okay. Um, it got, it has right now it's free. It's called Claws for concern on dungeon masters guild. Um, it is, it's free and I've had about 150 paid downloads and about 1500 free downloads so far. And it took me about three weeks to write. Okay. Um, 
apparently holiday stuff sells like hotcakes, um, Christmas and Halloween and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. If you're based around an event like that where people would be running themed events. So this year I'm going to be writing like Halloween stuff. And uh, uh, I've thought about doing some silly Fourth of July ones uh, for like Independence Day, that kind of stuff for ridiculous in-world things like that where like goblins would break away and uh, that kind of thing. But that took me about three weeks. Uh, it took me about two months for the uh, Dragon Tower one. And then it'll probably take me about three weeks for this current, like, horrific adventures or horrific encounters in Ravenloft. Uh, um, um, maybe two weeks, but it's individually based on how how difficult it is and how much I have to tie together and sure. how much of it is narrative versus how much is mechanics. Like it takes a lot more to come up with uh, with monster stat blocks and magic items and stuff than it actually does coming up with the story. Puzzles take forever, that kind of thing. <laughs> but if you're just writing, okay, here's the basic outline of the adventure, that doesn't actually take that long, um, especially if you're not putting them together in a any particular order. You just have to make sure that each of the individual pieces works on its own as a standalone. Um, oh that's a really good point i didn't even think of that because it's like it's it's not structured like a story like it's structured mm -hmm. in almost like mini arcs of a story right like little individual pieces that all tie together yeah that's the one i'm working on right now that like you can take any of these and put it in your world like if you're running curse of strahd you can take anything that i've got here and you can put it in strahd no matter where you are uh, like Dragon Tower is its own, probably take about four to eight hours to run, but it's all its own self-contained story there. Um, and I've learned recently that these stories, like adventure modules, uh, don't actually sell nearly as well as like player options and DM options, like new subclasses or new races or um, uh like the encounters, things like this, where you just have little ideas or dungeon generators or something like that, those actually sell better in terms of uh, just getting numbers of them bought uh, than typical adventures do. Because, well, because it's, people are always, players are always looking for different player options to be able to play, mess around with. They don't care about adventures. Yeah. Well, and I could see using like having resources to pull from could be a huge bonus where you don't need a full module right yeah yeah um how, do you play test at all some yes like uh, especially now that the uh that we're doing the uh i'm calling it dice stravaganza right now dice stravaganza and uh uh we're going to be streaming it eventually but now especially that we are uh going to be doing it and i'm dming that one i'm uh, definitely going to be playtesting a lot of my stuff with them <laughs> and um giving it to other people early getting them to play test it and give me uh feedback on it a lot because i don't have enough games to do it but whenever i talk with certain people they're like hey i'm doing this i need blah 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 and i'm like oh yeah hey here's a copy of my pdf let me know what you uh what i've got so far let me know what you think that kind of thing cool that's really cool um and then did you get any chance to like connect it sounds like there's like a community around right making these resources making these modules and like the dungeon masters guild have you connected with anyone that's like official like in canon writing that works for wizards of the coast i was really really excited um works for wizards of the coast like officially like like full-time staff right now no but no like Um, wizards of the coast they contract so many people to do work for them so they have kind of like regular contractors it's the same thing if you look at like what they do for magic of the gathering right they do similar things for D &D, where yeah they have on staff people but they have tons and tons of contractors that are like regulars so i guess i was more wondering like i assumed you haven't interacted with anyone who's an employee of wizards of the coast but have you touched base with any of those like kind of regular contractors that are really tied into them a little bit um on the discord it's a lot of discussion with uh, with a lot of those folks and trying to figure out like just you know seeing all of their marketing strategies and stuff it's really cool but yeah the coolest one so far was when i was promoting dragon tower and the uh the creator of the forgotten realms back in the 70s uh ed greenwood joined our discord that's amazing um, he hasn't you know talked or 
did anything like that. Like he's a, he's a crazy busy person, but I talked a little bit with him and some of the other, uh, people involved in Candlekeep, the, uh, the, the Elminster's, uh, guide to Candlekeep, uh, or Elminster's Candlekeep companion, excuse me. It was, uh, it was really cool to be able to just talk to the folks and like talk to the guy who made the Forgotten Realms in general. Like apparently he's really approachable and, uh, talks a lot on Twitter. Uh, it's at the adverse, just really cool stuff like that where like i don't have connections i i don't i'm probably you know i don't nobody knows who i am or anything like that but just kind of in passing like getting these uh these things of seeing what works for other people and how they do it has been really 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 helpful um Dude, so I'm, cool. I'm excited to see how stuff uh, goes because there are always calls for collaboration on the discord like doing different things and projects and i've tossed a few ideas at, at some of them and so we'll see if that happens by the end of the year or anything like that so i'm i'm really really excited about this i don't know if i'm any good at it but i like what i'm uh dealing what i'm doing so far um the next thing I've got out, like talking about collaboration, is just me putting up Dragon Tower. Had someone from Grim Press, a small uh, e publisher that does uh, different things, there, um, one of a uh, guy named Blocka uh, messaged me. I was like, hey, would you want to put your your adventure on fantasy grounds i can convert that we split royalties and i looked into it and it's totally legit so it's like yeah let's do this it takes like literally no work for me and so it's did that join the discord and then they had a call for uh a ravenloft anthology where they were going to be putting out a companion uh adventure called adventures in ravenloft uh where kind of coinciding the the new book that's coming out and they were doing it where you're writing every, like an adventure all of the writers were going to write like two adventures in different of these domains of dread like the new book is going to show all these different horror worlds uh that exist within Ravenloft and so I submitted it and uh when I submitted with my stuff I was like I'm new and everything but I've written other stuff and here's the couple of things I've got uh the response back I got was really nice was like I've seen enough you're in and uh so it made me feel really really good and so I've got a couple of those coming out and I've been seeing the maps that are coming through from them uh and it's really really fun uh having that kind of thing so getting edits and feedbacks through that has been really helpful too awesome that's so cool so okay last thing and then we'll jump over to geekery where do people find this and then if they want to buy your stuff or read your stuff or check it out like what's the easiest path to tracking it all down um you the best way to do it is just go to dungeonmastersguild.com and search for my name um the other way is i have a on my Twitter account at Professor Beach, uh, on my profile, I have a bit.ly link for it. That is bit.ly or bit.ly.com slash Beach Guild, G-Y-L-D, where uh, you can go directly to all the stuff that I've got. Um, but yeah, it's all on Dungeon Masters Guild because this is straight up D&D stuff. It's stuff that I can't take anywhere else uh, because I straight up use Wizards of the Coast intellectual property in it all <laughs> but uh, and a lot of people have problems with that because you can't take this anywhere else you're using their property uh, you know you're you're splitting uh, for whatever you sell you get 50% of the royalties on there uh, which some people have an issue with because it's a lot of uh, going to one bookshelf in Wizards of the Coast um, like on Amazon you get 70% of the of what you what you write and sell you get 70% royalties so on dungeon masters guild i get uh like for every $5 thing that i sell i get 250 um which i'm okay with because i'm actually writing D&D stuff where D&D people go to get it like it takes a lot of the marketing out of it in terms of just getting in front of people. Um, now, it's still hard to get it to sell. Don't get me wrong, because there's a lot on there. But it, it's I'm okay with, with that kind of thing. And um, so it's really... And, like, you can split it on there. So if you collaborate with somebody, like, I'm going to get 5% of the royalties all across whatever sells on uh, DM's Guild, on the Ravenloft thing. So uh, whenever, however long it sells, like I'm going to get 5% total through all of it. Um, and, you know, I'm a-okay with that because that's where it is. That's where I wrote it. And I can, you know, I'm always going to have that. I don't, I'm not the kind of person who takes and re 
repurposes a lot of my fiction so i'm a-okay personally with it being there yeah well i mean it makes sense too because you're using someone else's ip but they're letting you use it which is super cool yeah. well yeah which is super cool it's the kind of thing i've always wanted to do yeah like i love media tie-ins i love like i used to call it franchise fiction before i knew it was called uh, media tie-in stuff and like i love it like i've wanted to do stuff like this so i'm i'm fantastic being given a fleshed out world you can play with it however you want and uh here's all the stuff and you can copy and paste what you want and change it i'm like great let's let's do this um eventually something has to be a hit right (laughs) yeah something will come through um yeah no but it sounds like you have some early successes too which is super exciting yeah, that was what really got it. Like I with the uh, Dragon Tower, well, not Dragon Tower, with the Christmas one um, hitting the silver bestseller was really fantastic. I didn't expect that to happen, and uh, I didn't expect anything to happen with it. To be completely honest, I put it up there and didn't expect anybody to download it, and then I was like, "Holy crap, people are actually downloading this a lot!" And it uh, it really surprised me, and so that's what actually made me want to do it more was seeing that oh yeah people do download stuff and it's weird being may and people are still downloading it uh, wow i'll i'll see a, a download or two every couple of days uh which is you know for a christmas adventure in the middle of the year where it's coming up on summer i'm okay with that yeah that's really cool well awesome yeah, okay thanks for giving us the insight i needed to pick your brain about this topic because i wanted to know more um but everyone, don't forget, we are part of a network with podcasts. We have streamers, we have the Geekery blog, all that and more at geek2geekmedia.com or go to geek2geekmedia.com slash subscribe to get it sent right to you. We also have the digital magazine, which is on the Patreon. What's the latest with that? Uh, we are working right now on, uh, which is super, which is really funny, uh, this month's uh, theme is tabletop gaming. Ooh, synergy. Uh, so... Yeah, Synergy is perfect um, because next month, I think June is Tabletop Month. So uh, Tabletop Games Month, I think is how it goes, is what it's called. So we're going to be have this uh, to really tie in with that. So like months worth of Synergy here. Um, it is, you get all the back issues. This will be issue nine of our digital magazine. It is stories about games and the players and personal essays and memories and lookbacks and all sorts of, of really, 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 really good content uh put together by the geek to geek crew um it is at patreon.com slash geek to geek cast and i think you would really really like it we're trying to put together a lot more a lot more exclusive content uh, under the umbrella of what we're calling geek to geek plus so this is only part of it so keep an eye out uh we're gonna have some exclusive streams uh and that kind of thing for you as well so patreon.com slash geek to geek cast and that brings us to our weekly geekery, where we share what we've been geeking out about this week. What have you been up to? I went to the zoo. Okay, that's fun. Like, I was I was so excited. Like, I left the house for the first time in over a year, in like 14 months. It was great. Um, it was awesome. We're fully vaccinated this past Wednesday a week. Tomorrow, uh, we got our, our Pfizer vaccines, uh, quote unquote, kicked in. And uh, so we planned a, a weekend away just in Birmingham, a couple of uh, hours south. But we just took the time to ourselves. We went and got a hotel room, uh, stayed a couple of days, took a long weekend went to the zoo, went shopping a little bit, um, realized that people still don't wear masks when they're in public all the time, even when they're supposed to. Um, but I had such a good time at the zoo. Like we were excited because Birmingham, uh, still has a mask mandate. Uh, Alabama doesn't, but the city of Birmingham does. So the zoo has one that says you have to wear a mask at all times, which we were excited about because this was the first time that we have left the house and gone anywhere in a group of people in 14 months. So we 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 needed to be eased in to this kind of. And um, if we hadn't been vaccinated, I would have been terrified in this many people. Um but Oten, but because I was, it was much easier to get around. And like they had giraffe feedings, and I got to feed it like three different giraffes. Uh, like I forgot how big their heads were. Like <laughs> their heads are the size of Jennifer's torso. Like they are huge animals, and uh, like their prehensile tongues would reach out, and you could like hold the lettuce back from them. They stick their like eighteen inch tongue out trying to get it and wrap around it. Like it was just 
fund. And it was the first time since the lockdowns began in March where we could go and just do something. Uh, it was absolutely fantastic. I'm That's great. so, so happy to have been able to do it. Um, you know, it was, I'm hoping we're going to be able to continue to do that too. Like go out and just do a few normal things because that's the kind of thing that we would do on a weekend anyway is just go to the zoo. So it was, it was nice just to be able to go and, you know, be the only two adults feeding giraffes without children. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. Yep. We've also still been watching Veep, which okay. is still fantastic. Uh, I know we talked about it last time a little bit where uh completely unlikable, cast turns out to be a really compelling kind of parody political story uh still really good still really unlikable cast almost entirely through but you still care about them it's like even when the bad like i say bad person the bad people like these are just legitimately bad human beings like they make really unethical decisions that kind of thing in politics but you're like Oh, I hate it that that happened to them, even though, you know, you know, they deserve it, uh, but you're still rooting for them. It's just that kind of show. And I didn't think I was going to like it, but it's really hilarious. And it's so well written. That's what gets me. We were watching an episode last night, which deals with grief. And it was stunning for both of us at how real and realistically, it portrayed grief and how you react to stress while you're going through grief and like kind of mixing the emotions and not knowing what you actually feel. It was very well done. So like it, it we, we realized that it was the acting and the writing. I don't know why I pronounce it that way, but the acting and the writing that really did it for us. So I cannot recommend it enough, but it is not good for kids. <laughs> OK, that's fair. Um, and then I backed a Kickstarter a long time ago, probably probably January ish, right when it was uh, right when it was ending. Actually, a couple hours before it ended. Um, I don't remember who on Twitter reminded me of this, but I was posting about a card game called One Deck Dungeon, which was a solo board game, a solo card game, um, where you were trying to make your way through the dungeon. It was kind of that roguelike that I told you about. I know you and I were texting about that for a while. Yeah, we talked um, about that. And it's really, really cool. Like, I really like that game still. And this one, somebody was like, oh, you like solo games. You should check this out. And I looked at it, and it was a, it's called Paper Dungeon, and it is a notebook. Like, you know the reporter's notebooks, the kind that just flip over those very tiny, flimsy uh, notebooks that you get for like a nickel at at places? Um, Well, think about a notebook that size that's printed uh, on every page, like actually quality paper, like not the cheap ones that you get for a nickel places. But it's that size with a golf pencil and a single die, a six-sided die, and you it is procedurally generated all every page to be a different level of this dungeon, and you can play it entirely with one die and a pencil. It is really cool. Like there are basic rules, like here's how you move, here is how what happens when you touch this icon, that kind of thing. When you run across this symbol, this is what happens. Um, and it's just the kind of thing that if you're sitting here and it's like, I need to do something. Like I did this today. Today was the first time I tried this, but I got it in uh Sunday. And so I have it sitting open to a page. Uh, Whenever I want to do something, I'll throw a six-sided die. I'm like, okay, I got a three. I can move diagonally three spaces. Oh, no, I got caught in a spider web, and I lost a coin. And so it's just that kind of thing. Um, Moving through the different levels of this, there are 45 different uh, levels on it, and uh, you have a score based on how many times you uh, die, that kind of thing. Uh, And you can order as many of them as you want because they're all procedurally generated and it gives you the seed uh, for whichever one did that. Like, it's really, really, really cool. And it's actually really fun because it is just so simple. I think I got four of them with the dice and four notebooks, four dice and four pencils for, I think, $20 uh, for the Kickstarter. Like, it's super cheap and it's been a lot of fun uh, just doing it today. It's the kind of thing that I'm going to keep on my desk and honestly probably order more when I'm done with these because it's like, oh, I got 30 seconds. Dice. Okay, I move five spaces uh, straight now. It's like, or five <laughs> spaces diagonally. I just rolled a five when I did that. Um, 
but that's what I do. Like that's what I've done today. And it has, it has really helped uh, getting through work, just being able to look down and be like, Oh, I'm going to do this with the pencil right here. And I did it. Like it's, it's fun. It's called paper dungeon by Gladden design. G L A D D E N dot design. Very cool. So yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Like I really like it so far. I'm glad that. So thank you, whoever, if you're listening, I cannot remember who it was and I couldn't find it when I was looking for it on my Twitter feed. Um, thank you. Thank you for telling me about paper dungeon, uh, paper apps. So it's called paper apps, which is funny. So <laughs> thank you. I love you. Uh, I like it. That's cool. Um, I have been doing, I don't know, a bunch of things, uh, a, a couple mobile games that I wanted to kind of get off my list. Cause I was playing them and I'm, kind of done with them now but i realized i hadn't talked about them so um the first one is an apple arcade game uh, did you see when apple arcade finally got around to like doing a new update i did where they dropped like 30 or 40 games all at once yeah they had like n- almost no updates for like the better part of a year or like one game every like three or four months and if that mm-hmm. one game wasn't appealing to you it's like okay what what am i even paying for and then suddenly yeah they come out with like 30 or 40 games on one day with like no fanfare no pre-announcement like no prep at all there was just no marketing behind it it was really strange mm-hmm. um but i dove in and i tried out most of them because that's the kind of person i am and (laughs) (laughs) no not you one of them that jumped out to me that i've been playing off and on and again i'm kind of reaching the end with it with my amusement but it was fun while it lasted so i wanted to talk about it is i'm I'm sure i'm gonna slaughter the pronunciation here but it's taiko no tasujin pop tap beat and it's a japanese game (laughs) it's very japanese it's like a drumming game that's really high energy so it's a rhythm Mm. game so you're given a song and you play like an accompanying um, taiko drum beat to it. And then as you go on, you can customize your drum kit so it can sound like a traditional drum kit or it can sound like one uh, of tons okay. and tons of other sounds and stuff, too. So it's much more about like you're playing a percussion instrument along with the song. Right. And there's right. not that many inputs. It's like you can tap on the right side, on the left side of the drum, um, or you can tap both of those at the same time to do like a stronger hit. And then you can tap like the sides of the drum, which on iOS is just like tapping slightly off the drum, basically. Uh, so it's like you're tapping on the drum or off the drum and then with one finger or two fingers. And that's like all of the inputs. But there's a bunch of just high energy, really fun songs in there. So I had a good time with that for about a month. Just kind of like every once in a while, pull it open, play a song or two, put it down. Right. Like yeah. not super intense, but really nice palate cleanser of a game. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Like, not the kind of game I would subscribe to Apple Arcade for, but definitely the kind of game I would play if I were subscribed to Apple Arcade. That's exactly right. Yep, that's how I feel about it. Um, Another iOS one that I played around with for a while was Crash on the Run. And again, this is another one that I'm kind of petering out on. Um, There's so many infinite runner games on iOS, and this is not one of them, which is why I wanted to actually talk about it, because... At first glance, it looks like all of the other like three lane infinite runners that there's a million of them. But yeah. this actually is a crash game with levels in it. And they're <laughs> they're basically like handcrafted levels. Like all of them have been designed and laid out. There's no procedural like endless um, running in the same way that all of those like free to play ones are that are everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it because it feels like a crash game. I like it better than a lot of the modern crash games that I've tried because it actually fits better with like the lanes of running instead of full 3D movement. That being said, I think I like it overall, but as I got farther and farther into it, there are microtransactions and that free-to-play microtransactions became a grind and it started to get really annoying. So that's why I'm kind of wrapping up my time with it. Which makes sense because when you started this, I was like, "Oh, that's cool to have on the uh, on Apple Arcade." And then you said the uh, free to play microtransactions. I'm like, "Oh, that no. stinks." Yeah, and so that one's not Apple Arcade because Apple Arcade still has been really good about not allowing microtransactions. Yeah, which is fantastic. Like that's the way it should be. If I'm subscribing to something like that, I don't want to be beholden to those kinds of mechanics. Yeah, so Crash on the Run, it was basically just another free-to-play game, but 
it's not procedurally generated endless running it's like actually handcrafted levels so i did appreciate that part a lot which is really cool yeah like i really appreciate handcrafted levels yeah me too um and then i watched mortal kombat which did you watch this oh yeah i did i did watch mortal kombat i don't have a lot to say about it except that it's kind of exactly what i expected and it was worth seeing once and it was it, it was fun for what it was, right? Like, it's not a movie for kids. Yes. It's very gory. It's over-the-top bloody violence. But it's, it's like, dumb fun, and it's Mortal Kombat the way you would expect it to be Mortal Kombat. Um, if they come out with a sequel, sequel, I'll watch it because I had a good enough time with this one. There's not a lot here to, like, compel you. It's not like a five-star amazing movie. Everyone should see it. But if you have some nostalgia for Mortal Kombat and you're an adult, like, go watch this movie once. Like, it's dumb fun. And I went into this expecting dumb fun. I went in expecting a ridiculous over-the-top movie that took itself way too seriously and had people fighting and none of it making sense. And that is exactly what I got out of it. I know that I've seen people uh, like Steve, uh, Mr. Alarm, who really didn't like it because they wanted a higher quality movie than it is. And I totally see not liking it if you want a really uh, well-crafted story where things are, are done and given... I'm trying to think on how to put this the right way, uh, where things are done with the respect, where they're telling a real story and not just kind of punching each other and showing off all this different stuff, which is exactly what the movie was. It was punching stuff and showing off like, hey, remember this character? Hey, look at this. Hey, this is an interesting location that you probably remember. Um, I I loved it because of it being ridiculous, but I totally see why people who were expecting more uh, would be disappointed in it. Yeah, and I went in not expecting much, and it was it was great. Like, it was great for exactly. not having my expectations be high. So if you go in with proper expectations, it's a fun movie. Um, and then the, the new Pokemon Snap game, I've been playing that, and I can report that it is more Pokemon Snap again, basically. There's, yeah. there's not a lot else there, and it's fine. Like, that's totally fine as a game, you know? Um, they don't do a whole lot. It's just kind of a modern reinterpretation of Pokemon Snap from N64, which also makes me wonder why they waited so long to make a second one. Um, I've always wondered that, like why they haven't made another one as many people who want it. And like the the game itself isn't a ridiculously complicated kind of uh, engine that you have to create. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So... It's fun for what it is. If you want to take photos of Pokemon and then go through the levels uh, a bunch of times and like increase your research level so that the next time through the Pokemon do different things and interact in different ways. Um, And, you know, it has some basic mechanics to interact with them. Like you can throw food out, you can scan the environment, you can play a melody, all the same stuff from like the original Pokemon Snap, basically. Um, It's just reinterpreted for 2021, but it's not really that different. That being said, I liked it. Like, I am liking it. You know, I'm probably 75% of the way through the game, and I've played, I don't know, like seven hours, six, seven hours. So I'm guessing it's probably an eight to 10 hour game. Um, But I'm having fun for what it is. And I think this would be a really good game for like non gamers in your life, too. You know, I could see a lot of people being able to like pull their spouse in to play this one or pulling their kids if they're not into games yet or, you know, stuff like that. Like this would be a really good onboarding for people that aren't kind of gamers all the time. Austin was telling me that Uh, he bought it. I haven't bought this one yet because it was as much as I'm not playing games, I couldn't bring myself to to pay $60 for this, knowing that I would play it occasionally. Um, But I'm going to get this one eventually. And he was telling me how good it was because it's Pokemon Snap. Like, that's what it is. And uh, he said the most fun he had with it was when him, his wife, and his three kids uh, sat in front of the TV and shared the controller uh, taking pictures of Pokemon. That all five of them were playing his like three year old daughters, his five year old daughter and him and his wife were both just all just passing around the controller doing it. He said that was the most fun that he had. And I could absolutely see that with this game, uh, that that being a a social uh, a social component of it would really help this uh, oh, yeah. like have longevity and just make it fun and ridiculous and funny. Well, that's some of the most fun I've had, too. Right. Is like um, 
I had some sessions where I was playing and my daughter was kind of sitting on the couch nearby and then she'd start watching and then be like, Ooh, what if we do this? What if you look over there? What if we try this thing? Like that was uh, really fun. Um, and then my son saw me playing and then he's like, Ooh, can I play on my own profile? So he started doing that. And then I sat there with him and he'd ask me questions or be like, Oh, I'm going to try this thing or I'm going to try that thing. So I think yeah. having that second player on the couch actually makes this game a lot better. Which is really cool, and I cannot wait to play it. Um, I expected that to be the case, and so uh, I look forward to playing it with Riley, uh, my nephew. Uh, that'll be a lot of fun to play. Oh, to play yeah. with him sitting there, and for me sitting there with him doing it too. No, that'll be great. That'll that's the perfect time to get the game yep. and try it out. Um, and then the last thing, and this is where a lot of my time has gone, has been uh, Magic the Gathering Strixhaven. So I'm still right. playing on iOS. Um, you know, I talked about ios and how much that's working for me as a form factor for magic like i'm playing it at night when i want to get away from the computer and i sit on the couch with the ipad or even after i get into bed sometimes i just kind of like flop down on the bed and i pull out my phone and i play a couple matches um but it means that i'm playing way more magic than i would be any other way like i knew it was going to be such a good fit on ios and it truly is so strixhaven is the new set that came out two weeks ago three weeks ago at this point um it's fun i like it and I was starting out with some of the sealed events and um, just trying more of like the limited events in general. I really do need to like dabble more in draft, but sealed is still an option. So I've mostly been doing that. Um, the set overall, it's fascinating because it the whole set, the concept is like uh, it's a magic school, right? It's not quite Harry Potter, but it's it's in that vein of like magic school where there's different houses or different colleges. Um, so it's kind of aged up. It's like college age kids, um, but there's different schools of magic and each one is like a two color pair. Um, that's the whole plane. And that's the whole setting. And the way that they've structured the set is to make sorceries and instants matter a lot. So there's way more sorceries, way more instants than there would normally be in a typical set. And there's a lot less creatures in here. So that means that it hasn't actually had a giant impact on standard or historic or like any of those formats. But it has such a different feel when you're playing limited because limited, you're only using cards from this set. So you end up in these battles against somebody else that feel like wizard duels where you're just fleeing mm. spells and sorceries and instants back and forth and it can get really really fun like there are such fascinating combinations and interactions that i've seen in limited play that i've never seen in magic before so i really like the set for that i really look forward to being able to try it if i could get through these stupid color challenges like i haven't <laughs> like it's really annoying that i have to play like 25 games just to be able to get in and play against people and to use the new cards. I'm it's seriously make like it's made me not boot it up because I know that I still have like 23 games to play or something like that or 17 or whatever I'm at at this point. Like yeah. it's really frustrating to have it locked out behind something I've already done. Yeah, that that is frustrating. I could see that. Um and it's not even against and for me it's not against other people, so it's just against the computer, so it's boring. So it's just like, okay, I'm winning. Yeah, you just need to yep, sit down and how, grind it out almost because you've do. done it before. Um, yep, it's really frustrating, but I want to play with Strixhaven stuff because that sounds really cool. It is cool. I mean, there's a couple things I would say is that this set is so spell heavy. Like, I mean, technically everything is spells in Magic, but right. it's so heavy on instants and sorceries. But as I was reading more about it, they said that um, that's on purpose. It's supposed to pair really nicely with Innistrad when that comes out later this year because Innistrad is going to be super creature heavy. So between the two of them, it should be kind of back to a normal balance. Um, okay. Because Innistrad is werewolves and vampires and all that kind of stuff. So a lot of creatures um, in that one. And then the other thing that I wanted to call out here is that this is not a newbie-friendly set. Like, if you like magic, if you like interesting interactions... This set is great. Strixhaven has a ton of unique text for each card, but it's like almost too much text a lot of the time. Like there are paragraphs on the cards and it's like a unique rule set, unique interactions for just this card. And you really have to read it and think about it to like understand what is this card doing and how is it interacting? Um, which if you've done magic before, it can be a fun exercise to go through that. If you haven't played a lot of magic, it would be nothing but frustration. So 
I think that if you are a new player and you're interested in getting into D, uh, to uh, not D&D, to Magic now that it's on iOS, I would actually wait a couple months for the D&D crossover set because that one is taking place of where the typical core set would come out. And whenever they do a core mm. set, they give you a bunch of ways for like easy onboarding for new players. So I assume that the D&D set this year is going to take that place because that's where it is in the rotation. They're probably going to get a bunch of newbie-friendly stuff in there to try to attract new players from D&D. Yeah, I'm assuming. And I'm going to assume as well that, and I don't know, I haven't seen anything that I just know other D&D books are coming out this year. Um, With the D&D set tying in for the first time in Magic, I wouldn't doubt that they're going to revisit Magic in D&D and one of the other books that's coming out this year. And like I said, I haven't heard anything, but I'm kind of expecting a Magic plane to be part of the D&D world this year. Um, And I would love for it to be like Strixhaven or Innistrad or something like that. Oh, yeah, that'd be interesting. Like, that'd be really cool because we have Theros and Ravnica already um, in there where they have those settings. So uh, but you can't write about them on Dungeon Master's Guild. Those are two of the ones that even though they're officially published, you cannot uh, write about them uh, for D&D and include content that way. Um, Talking about those things that were earlier that were the restrictions. So uh, I'm excited to see if they do something with Strixhaven maybe uh, later this year when they tie them together again. But the opposite direction, you know? Yeah, because they did say that that well that you can look at the title of the D D magic set and it is Forgotten Realms. Like it's explicitly mm-hmm. set in Forgotten Realms. Yep. So they're definitely tying it together that direction and making the Forgotten Realms one of the planes of magic, I guess. Yeah, which is really, really cool because they've got two planes. Uh well, the way planes work is different. Never it's just weird. <laughs> Never mind. But yeah, they have they have different settings like that. They've brought those in as part of the multiverse of D D already. Cool. That's probably it for this week. Uh, you guys can write to us with comments, suggestions, or feedback. Our email address is geek2geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at geek2geekcast. We also have great discussions on Slack and Discord. You can go to geek2geekmedia.com for invite links. And while you're there, make sure to check out all the other content on the network, like our blogs and video game reviews and our digital magazine on Patreon. I blog at agreenmushroom.com and you can find me at GRN Mushroom. That's Green Mushroom without the E's on Twitter. I'm also on the Disney Forever podcast where we watch and react to a different Disney movie every week. And I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beach. That's Beach with two E's. And I also co-host the Dragon Quest FM podcast, a show about the Square Enix RPG series. We've been Void Beach with your Geek to Geek podcast. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. Bye, guys. Buy my stuff. When toxic culture has you down. When you're just looking to laugh and have fun. Kick back and enjoy watching a video game. Or just make some new friends. It's time to visit the geek to geek Media Network. A community of podcasters, streamers, and bloggers. Well, more of a family than a community. All dedicated to geeking out about the things we love. Things like... Video games. Star Wars. Comics. Movies. K-pop. Disney Plus. Keanu. Keanu Reeves. New. Or whatever our community decides is the next best thing. That's right. We have a great online community on Slack and Discord where we chat about our weekly geekery with listeners and viewers. And each other. Yep. And each other in real time. And we can't wait for you to join us. So come check us out at geek2geekmedia.com. And escape toxic fandom for something much more... Keanu? Yes. Keanu.